Built Not Born, episode 47. I'm Joe Chicarone. Thank you for joining us. Today's guest is Lisa Morton. Lisa Morton is the founder and CEO of Roland Dransfield. Roland Dransfield is a PR and content marketing agency with offices in the United Kingdom in Manchester and London, and also on the West Coast in Los Angeles. This is a fun conversation with a business leader on top of her game. Lisa is so impressive. She has such great ideas. She has an amazing story to tell. She and I discuss how a bucket and a sponge changed the trajectory of her life. Lisa discusses why the world needs more leaders and how you can base your life on courage or comfort, but not both. Also, Lisa walks us through the principles that are the foundation of her business and life. It's a great conversation with a remarkable leader. Hope you enjoy. So thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please hit the follow button. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come. Enjoy my conversation with Lisa Morton, CEO and founder of Roland Dransfield. And remember, life is built, not born. Lisa Morton, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. Uh, We're excited to have you. Lisa, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? From a a professional point of view, I'm the founder and CEO of a PR and engagement company called Roland Dransfield. It's actually named after my godfather, and we'll probably talk about that as to why. I set that business up 25 years ago. I've had an amazing career, absolutely loved um, my work and the teams that we've built. And then recently, we set up a business called Purposeful Podcasts, which is a a podcast business, end-to-end production, creative development, and marketing for business brands and leaders who want to use podcasting to create communities. And that was built on the back of a podcast that I decided to launch a couple of years ago called We Built This City. And that's to celebrate um, all the people who have, have contributed to the city of Greater Manchester in the UK. And so that covers lots of different stories of people who have really created a legacy um, for our city. I want to get into Roland Dansfield, with your life lessons, leadership lessons you learned from starting that firm and leading it as the CEO, your experience as a podcaster. We built the city and purposeful podcast. And maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit more about the great city of Manchester. But before we do, I wanted to start back all the way from the beginning. Where did you grow up? So I was born in central Manchester and then lived in a suburb of Manchester, grew up there, went to school in a place called Salford and spent a great childhood there and then went off to university um, in Birmingham, which is an hour and a half away. So I left home when I was um, 18. But yeah, a lot of my upbringing and formative years were were from the values that we got were from working in a very working class area uh, of Manchester. Can you tell us a little bit about Manchester? It's a very storied town with a long, rich history of all. Yeah. Give us a little slice of life in Manchester, what it's about. Sure. Well, Manchester obviously has got a really rich industrial past. So we have the very much um, a part of the Industrial Revolution. The city was built on the cotton trade. 
It has currently has well, it has a, an amazing um, uh, history and legacy in music. So we've produced some incredible musicians out of Manchester, and obviously we've got two of the big biggest teams. Well, we've got the biggest team in the world, which is Manchester United, and I'm a, a red. And then on the other side of the, of the city, we have the blue side, which is Manchester City. At the moment, City is doing much better than United, so that is really hard to deal with <laughs> currently. But yeah, and it's a city that's known for protest and pride and passion. And we've had some very big tragedies, really, I suppose, over the year. We had, not long ago, we had a, a bomb which um, hit a terrorist attack at the Manchester Arena, killed um, 22 people. Um, that's coming up to five years anniversary. And yeah, every single time we have a major tragedy in the city, people get stronger and the community gets stronger. So it's a really, it's a fabulous city to be part of. That was the Ariana Grande concert, wasn't That's it? That's right. Yeah. yeah. And then what, in the 90s, it was what, the IRA bombing or something? The, in the 1996, we had the IRA bomb and that decimated the center of the city. Fortunately, not nobody was um, injured. It was interesting. I was at a dinner um, a week ago with some of the, the, the leader of the council and I sat next to the chief of police of Manchester. And he was telling me that he was two years into his career as a policeman on that day and he helped to clear some of the people away. So there were no, thankfully, because there was a warning, there were absolutely no injuries at all. But what happened is that the, the centre of the city was absolutely devastated. And at that time, I had actually just started my business off, Roland Dransfield, and we immediately were involved in helping to create a better city with a better architecture, better um, access and, and better opportunities for people of the city. So it was actually a positive situation as it turned out to be. Wow, that's, that's amazing. The worst of the human condition when stuff like that happens, it's crazy. So people get to know you a little bit better. If you think back uh, to your childhood, growing up in Manchester around the dinner table, say maybe when you were like 10 years old, I find that a very uh, formative time in people's lives. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what was it like around the dinner table then? Who was there? Yeah. What was going well, on? First of all, in, in Manchester and in Salford, it's interesting because, it, and it's still the same now, we call dinner is tea, and then you have your dinner at lunchtime. So it was school dinners, <laughs> what you're having for dinner. They were dinner ladies, and they were the ladies that served our lunch at school. I think it's only in Manchester that happens, but at the dinner table, there would have been my mum and my dad, a brother, uh, Greg, who was two years younger than me, and my dad had an engineering business uh, with Roland Dransfield, which I'll come on to tell us the history there. But my mum you know, stayed at home, looked after um, myself, my brother, my dad went to work. So that time after work, and in those days, nobody brought work home. So, um, you know, it was a real family time. And usually my brother and I would have been out playing with the kids in the street, making stuff. We used to make stuff out of anything we could lay our hands on. So that was always fun. And then we used to come around the table and talk about what had happened in the day at school. I think I always heard stories of my dad's business. So I was always interested in enterprise. He was an entrepreneur. I was fascinated by some of the things that he'd teach us about at the dinner table. But I just remember a lot of love. And that was a time where we'd come together and we'd actually give each other our attention for the end of the day. That's something that's just missing where everyone gets together for a few minutes at the table. Mm. It's, it's mostly everyone running around. Everyone's so busy. It's so unique that all four or five of you sit down and sit and talk for 20 minutes. So important. Uh, we, yes. My parents used to say, there was, we had some family friends who would have a little setup where they'd watch TV while they ate. 
And that was in our house. It was, we were never allowed to, we called it teas on knees and you were never allowed to do that. You had mm-hmm. to come to the table. It was not acceptable to, to watch TV while you're having dinner. Yeah. So, something's <laughs> just missed now. it. Yeah, it's different. It's there because it kills it because everyone's just looking at the TV and they're not talking and you're not mm-hmm. sharing your day. And mm-hmm. you don't know some basic things that happened with your family during that day. That's a good call by your parents. Mm-hmm. How about looking back? Who was your biggest influence when you were a child? So um, Roland Dransfield, and I've named the business after him, he was an amazing guy. He was from Salford. He was working class and had made work very, very hard. And it was kind of rags to riches story. And my dad was a mechanic and Roland used to see my dad under his cars. He always had fantastic cars that he'd worked very hard for. And he thought my dad was such a great mechanic and gave such great service that he got to know him over a period of time and then offered him a job uh, to work with him in his business. So that changed our lives as a family. My dad then got into a business which was very successful. And then Roland was a massive influence in our life as a family, but me particularly. He one day came to our house. He always used to say to me that I should have my own business. And we're talking about mid-70s then. Not many women that I knew at that time had a business or you were taught you're going to be a nurse or a teacher if you had a job. So he one day came to my family house and with him, I remember it was a Sunday morning and he had a bucket and a sponge with him. And he said to me, okay, you've got your own business. You've got a car washing round as of today. So go out and wash the neighbor's cars. And if you wash enough cars and you can pay me back for the bucket and the sponge at the end of today, you're in profit. <laughs> if you if you can't afford to pay me back, you need to go out again next week until you can. And the family just, we can't remember how much that bucket and that sponge was. We've tried to think, but we don't know. But as it happened, I was in profit on day one. And, um, you know, that taught, I had that car washing round then from being eight years old to being 15 years old until I fell in love with shoes and I ditched the bucket and I went to work in a shoe shop. So for me, he was the biggest inspiration in my life and also changed our family's life. You know, he taught my dad an awful lot and I learned a lot from my dad about business too. So when I set the business up in 1996, Roland had actually passed away by then. But it was really important to me to name my business after him because he was the one that always told me that I should have a business and he's the one that got me going in the first place. Isn't it amazing? You would think at eight years old, handing someone a bucket and a sponge, (laughs) and it totally changed the trajectory of your life, a bucket and a sponge at eight years old. Yeah. How impactful that is. One person believing in you and giving you an idea and some motivation and inspiring you. That's Mm -hmm. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> so, so where did you go to university at? So I went to university in Birmingham, which um, is it's about an hour and a half away from Manchester in the Midlands. Loved it. I did English and French. And then I, when I finished university, I actually went out to France for nine months just to try and use my languages a little bit. And then I came back and I got a job in Manchester. And it was really difficult at those times. There were just no jobs. I mean, Manchester has got so much opportunity now. We have so much inward investment. We retain so much of our student population. But in those days, there was so little. I mean, there was not, the opportunities weren't there. But I managed to find a job in a very small, it's a one-man band PR company and just worked hard 
and then ended up being headhunted to go and do it. It was a maternity cover um, for a big agency when I was 24. I always wanted my own business. And so a couple of years later, I decided to set Roland Dransfield up. But I was always, uh, I think looking back to your career in those days, you always expected to have to work extremely hard you didn't expect that things were going to come quickly. So there was definitely that sense of needing to do those hard yards, getting paid very little, working very long hours. And that was, I suppose, a rite of passage, which I embraced. I felt passionate about that those years were going to be the foundation for a, for a career that I would appreciate because I'd done that hard work. Yeah. If someone asked maybe the 22-year-old version of you, roughly the age when, when the average person graduates college, what you wanted to do with your life, what do you think that 22-year-old version would say? At that time, I really wanted, I've always loved building relationships. And I've always been intrigued about the difference that you can make when you put people together or you put brands together. And I always loved writing and I love communicating. So for me, I think it's distilled into using communication, using relationships to create legacies in a way. That has been what I've, I've done. I didn't realize probably when I went into PR that I could use that as a platform to do what we've done, particularly, I would say, you know, since I started Roland Dransfield. Before you started Roland Dransfield, do you remember the moment when you were working for someone else? Do you remember the moment you decided, that's it, I'm going to do my own thing? <laughs> yeah. I mean, day one, <laughs> mature. the first day. And the, the reason, I mean, I'm very grateful for what I learned from some of those organizations. And there were three companies I worked for. The last one I did enjoy very much, but there were a couple before that where the behaviors, I don't, I think it's definitely a, a time thing. I think at those times there wasn't the requirement to behave in a great way towards people that you employed necessarily. I think there was quite a lot of sexism for a young woman to working in industry at that time. But there were, I learned from some of those situations how I wanted not to run my business. And and the type of culture and the type of values that it was important for me to create when I had my own business. So I set my business up so that I could control that environment and make give good opportunities to people who are going to come and work with me mm. along the way. A couple of things there you mentioned. One, you mentioned the power of community, setting up a community and connection, connecting people and just the power of that. Also, too, you can learn from people like your godfather, Roland, mm -hmm. what to do, but you said you also learned what not to do from other mm -hmm. people. You can learn from everybody, totally. either pluses or minus. Can you think of a situation where you learned what not to do from somebody, like how you did not want to run your business? Any ideas come to mind? Yeah, there was, I think that I believe there's enough to go around. I don't think you have to be jealous of people who are great or envious of people who are great or better than you. Because as you say, you can learn. And, and I believe together you can learn so much. I learn lots of things from the younger people in our team. One of our values is leaders create leaders. You know, I'm looking, the world needs more leaders. And so I encourage people to lead. And I don't want to impose myself on our team as well. I'm the oldest of the most experienced here. So you take my lead. 
So I think definitely I saw a lot of envy, I think, of those new young ideas that were coming through. And I was very conscious of that and very conscious of being that scarcity mentality in some organisations where people were fearful of anybody that was going to come along with a better idea rather than embracing that and feeling kind of joyful that that had come out of the team. So that was, for me, really important. And I don't like hierarchies. I've never, in our business, we've got a very flat structure and, and it's a meritocracy and that's so important to me. Flat structure, meritocracy, such a great concept. So you started Roland Dancefield in 1996 on your kitchen table, basically yeah. in your house. <laughs> At what point did you realize not only is this business it's going to endure, but this is going to be we're, we're, I mean, we're going to hire people, we're going to expand, we're going to multiple cities. At what point did you realize, wow, I am really on to something? This is really going to kick. So immediately, I think, because I was overwhelmed by how many people came to me quite very quickly overnight when I'd set up the business. And within a, a month, I had uh, one member of staff and then a team members. And then we think we had four within six months. And then we had offices within a, a month or so. So, yeah, but I don't think just got on with it and just industrious and, and didn't ever think, well, look how well we're doing. It wasn't that. I think that culture of always having to work hard and being humble. And one of Roland's expressions in actual fact was um, stars don't make a noise, they just shine. And so our focus was helping our clients tell their stories. And so that was our focus. It wasn't about how well we were doing. And there was not social media. We didn't even have the internet. So there was no way of being able to really push our brand. We just got on and did good work. Just go on and do good work. What, what, what a life lesson that is. Just do good work, move on, shine. No need to make a lot of noise. That's great. In that 2018, you created the 15 principles to live and work by, and they are really good. I took a look at them doing some research couple of them. Let's start with the first one, sweep the shed. Mm. Tell us about that one. I thought that one's really humble, really good. So that is actually inspired. When we set those principles for the team, which we had a bit of a moment where I thought we've got, we have to do this work because the business had changed a lot. We did lots of research. We read some great books. We studied the, the codes and principles of corporates and sports teams and charities and, and all kinds of things. The one book that really resonated was a book called Legacy, which is by James Kerr, and that's about the All Blacks rugby team. Mm. And one of their values is sweep the sheds, and we loved it because it's no jobs too small. And the rugby team, which is one of the most successful sporting teams in the world, once they've gone out onto the field and won and absolutely smashed it, when they come back into their changing rooms, which they call the shed, once everyone celebrated, they send everybody out and that team, that winning team, makes sure that they leave that shed, their changing room in the same pristine state it was when they got in there because that's discipline. That's as important to them as it is what, the, it is what they do on the field is. So this really spoke to us in terms of the fact that it's the small things that make the difference. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want to do the small things, and if you think the small things are beneath you, you're never going to have that success. If you cut corners, another expression that Roland used to say was um, long summer, short career. So we can get those fast, uh, those quick wins, but they're not going to have longevity. They're not future-proofed. 
And that value, we love that value because also we were finding that we had egos in the team. We'd gone through quick growth. We'd brought lateral hires into the company. And some of those lateral hires brought with them different agendas or egos. And quite literally, the more junior members of the team were having to go into, say, the meeting room and move their coffee cups out of the way after a meeting. And Mm. it's unacceptable. So sweep the sheds meant that the younger members of the team could say to anybody who'd left their biscuits and their coffee cups from the previous meeting, oi, go and sweep the sheds. So somebody who's 19, 20 years old can say that to somebody who's 50 or 60 because that's our value. So it was quite liberating. But for me, success is about those small things and it's about making sure that you mean, you you keep your backyard tidy at all times. There's a part of humility there where it's, I'm not so important. Say I'm a 60 year old VP in your company and I could just leave my tea and coffee cups everywhere and just leave. And then the 19 year old, well, they'll clean it up for their meetings. I'm too important. It brings a level of community and humility in it where everyone's in charge of their own stuff. And no matter who you are, you want to leave that spot just as good as you found it for the next person coming in. Totally. And it's respect, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's ultimate respect. Yep. And that just, that just goes so far. How about this one? I love the number seven, keep it real. Talk yeah. about that one. Well, we say, you know, keep it real after every success we go again. And it's about learning. When we have a big success in the team, we ring a bell. We've done that for years. If we get great media coverage, if we get a great review from a client, you know, we ring that bell. But you've got to, you then have to do go again. You have to realize that you that's your last job. And that that client is so happy with the work you've done, but then you've got to be judged again by what you do next. So I think keeping it real is about not getting ahead of yourself. Ultimately, we're here to provide a service. We're here to do good. We're here to leave a legacy. So let's not forget. Let's not get carried away in the moment. And let's keep learning. Keep learning. Two more. I love all 15. I'll dial in two more. (laughs) I love number 19, empathy. Like walk a mile in the other Mm -hmm. person's shoes. Like walk a mile with the person. Yeah. You speak to how important that is. Absolutely. I think in terms of the job that we do in particular, which is about engagement and it's a public relations, it's always thinking about if you want to communicate with somebody, how do they need to be communicated with? If you don't walk in their shoes, you can't possibly hope to have an idea. It's egotistical to think that people will have the same perspective of you or they've got the, the same background. So walk a mile was really important and it, it's about kindness as well. It's about kindness in your team. And I think that this really, really helped us in the pandemic, both in terms of how our team members were being affected and also clients and also our community, because there were so many people that suffered so badly. And I think I was just overwhelmed by the the how humble our team was, how much they cared for each other in those moments, how much empathy they had for clients. And so, for example, when that pandemic hit, it was catastrophic for us as an organization from a business point of view, because so many of our clients wanted to pause or stop contracts, even though they were in contract. And even though it was very painful for us financially for a period of time, we just wanted to walk a mile in their shoes because they were worried about their livelihood. They were worried about their teams. And so we just allowed people to do what felt right for them without enforcing any contracts. 
and we also allowed our team to work and operate in a way that was good for them and check in with them and make sure everybody was okay. So that was a really important value um, for us at that time. Yeah. Like that empathy, there's nothing that connects people. Like, look, seeing it, doing your best to see it through someone else's Mm -hmm. eyes, that ability to connect and then cause people to act in such a uh, powerful way. Now, empathy is so underrated. It's sometimes Mm -hmm. it's so hard to do because we're all, everyone's so used to thinking like, everyone sees what I see, my reality is their reality. And what you think is funny or easy or hard Mm -hmm. is may not be funny, easy or hard to the other person. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. So La- important. Last one. I love that. I think it's number 15. Plant trees you'll never see. Yeah. I love that one. Go. Yeah, that's my favorite completely. And that's out of leaving a legacy, out of respect for those who follow. And so for me, I fundamentally believe that we are not here as human beings or as businesses to use up the resources that we have at our disposal is here to make the most of those resources and create more. Planting trees is about, it's not just the piece of work that we've got on our desk in front of us. It's not just the the type of work we do as an organization or the product we sell or the service that we deliver. It's about how we can use our platform, how we can use our power to make things better. And so we encourage all of our clients to to plant trees and, and some of them physically plant trees I don't think there's one client that we work with that does not massively put back into community or to help the, the, the world be a better place and in pride in their ability to do that. So for me, that's the most important value. And that's really a huge amount of the work that Roland Dransfield does now. That's what gets us out of bed. <laughs> I love studying philosophy. There's a great Greek philosophy saying, I forget where philosopher said it, but it says a society becomes great when old people plant trees whose shade they will never sit under. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah. a great, I just, that's a strap it on that. It's so selfless. It, it, it's so selfless. And I think also people, and more so now, I think, than ever, particularly after the past two years or so, people don't just want to come to work for the work that they do. They want to have a purpose. They want mm. to feel that whoever they work with has a, a bigger sense and doesn't take themselves so seriously that they, they believe that the working world or everything revolves around that business. It's, so much more than that now. In actual fact, when we talk to clients, we ask them what trees they are planting. And if we don't feel that they're planting enough, we tell them, we build that into their strategy because people now don't care how well you're doing. They, they, they care how well you're doing for other people. And mm. that's how you retain team members. And that's how you, your business will, will flourish if you have that at the core of your culture. Before we move on, your podcast, We Built This City, Can you speak of how you got into podcasting, what you've learned, anything you'd like to pass on? Yeah, I remember being, I was ill ill in bed. I had everyone gets that kind of five days November time when you just hit the wall. And it was November just before the pandemic hit in the March. And I just thought I really want, as we're coming up to, I think, 23 years of the business. And I just thought I really wanted to uh, create some legacy, I suppose, in telling some of those stories and having those conversations. And with born, bred or adopted Mancunian, so people who helped to make the city great and never done a podcast before. Serendipity happened. Someone introduced me to a producer who worked for the BBC and I said, can you help me make this podcast? And so she produced it for us. And as it happened, we launched it as we went into lockdown and we could never have foreseen how it would take off because people were locked in the houses. They weren't, they were perhaps going on long walks every day. 
Um, but for us in Manchester, those conversations and those relationships and the purpose and the legacy of Mancunians was more important than ever. So we found that the community grew massively very quickly. And we had to <laughs> had to learn how to do podcasting online. We'd mm-hmm. been doing it in a studio. So it was quite interesting to be sitting like on my bed with a duvet over my head, yeah. interviewing the mayor of Manchester in yeah. <laughs> and he'd look the same that's as your, me. That's your sound room. Yeah, that's your sound room. The duvet over the head, your sound room. Yeah. Absolutely. All the, the the ironing pile yeah. <laughs> next to the ironing pile. And yeah, I mean it's been a success. We've won a number of big podcast awards for it. And but what I've learned is I had huge imposter syndrome when I started it because my whole career has been about putting our clients in front of a mic and a camera. So I felt uncomfortable to start off with that I should be doing that. And in actual fact, so we, I've learned so much, but literally in lockdown, however long that was, we were fortunate enough to be inspired by somebody incredible every week. And so to be honest with you, even though it was a huge learning curve for me on top of a business that was annihilated for a period of time, it, it kept me going completely. And I realized that we've we've done it before, we'll do it again. <laughs> so yeah. it was, and then, yeah, on the back of that, we had lots of people coming to us to ask us if we could produce podcasts for them. So we launched the business a few months ago and we have been overwhelmed and inundated by businesses and brands and thought leaders who want to work with us. So I'm very excited about that business and it's great fun. And our, our whole team have learned new skills, which adds to their CV and their experience too. There's a value to the long form conversation. If you look like Twitter, Twitter's great. It serves a purpose or Facebook or Instagram, but they're all blurbs. Like it's like mm. a sentence or two. It's a bullet point. It could be taken out of context. A long form conversation. When you sit down and you hear that 40 minute, 50 minute interview, mm. you really get an understanding of what that particular subject matter is about. I, I've learned so much just listening to really thoughtful podcasts and thoughtful guests. It's an education when you go really about, is. take your time. Totally, it really is. And I think, like you say, sometimes with the written words, you can read it and then you, you move on. I just feel that when it's actually going in your ears, yeah. to me, I, I don't, there's something, and there's something really, in a way, old-fashioned about it. It, feel, it feels like things slow down and mm-hmm. that you engage more. And I absolutely love it. And, you know, I, I think I do really lean into advice. And you can hear people's, pain or experiences, can't you? And learnings that seem to resonate more than just reading uh, an interview. It's emotion. Yeah. You hear the emotion in the voice, you hear the inflection, you hear the tone, and sometimes you can see the body language when it's video. So it's not, it's great. Thanks for sharing that. I'm going to move on to the part of the interview we call share your secrets. So our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. Looking back of all the things you faced from starting Roland Dansfield, podcasting, everything in your childhood, from the scrub bucket, starting your own car wash <laughs> company, what's the biggest challenge you ever faced? I think it must be that when I had my daughter, um, my son, so I've got my son, Alex, and my daughter, Nina, and Nina was born 21 months after Alex. I had a very short maternity leave with my son, maybe six weeks. And then with Nina, which was tough. And then with Nina, I had planned to have three months where I could actually take some time. And this time just have, my, my business was more developed. And so therefore I thought I'd be able to have some more time with her. 
And not long, I think I was in the side room on the delivery ward and my brother appeared at the, at the door, which I thought, what on earth are you doing here? And he'd been doing some consultancy work for the business at the time. And he told me probably, I don't know, three hours after a given birth that the person that I'd put in place in the business uh, and promoted to give me that space had probably as I was giving birth, <laughs> had, uh, had resigned and was trying to rip out the clients, oh. problems with the team. So it all been planned. And I can't describe the fear and the panic that set in at that point as I'm looking at my hours old baby girl. I was absolutely devastated because the business was only, it was fairly small and I, she was the only person that, there was nobody else to go in and rescue that other than me. So my maternity leave lasted about 48 hours wow. and it was just the most, yeah, frightening, tragic, sad. I was devastated. I felt shame that I wasn't going to, yeah, it was like, it was awful. And, and basically two weeks later, I had to go back into the office and I had an amazing, my mum helped out and I, and, I, and I had a nanny that came and had to get a nanny. So, but I thought that I was going to lose the business and that was my livelihood. And not long after that, in actual fact, my husband and I, we, um, we split up and that was kind of on the card. So it was a very, very frightening time to think that I was on my own, maybe had no business and two children under two, single wow. mum. So that, but looking back and it was awful, although having said that, I was laughing that when we had lockdown in the UK, I finally got my maternity leave after 20 years. <laughs> And then they could cook dinner for me and we drank wine together. So it was, it was a long way, but it came eventually. But, 20 um, years later, oh my God. Yeah, 20 years later. And there was much less crying, I have to say. But, <laughs> but I did learn then, even though it was so hard, people helped me out. And I'd not backed myself enough, I think. I thought that that was it, that she would resign. Those clients would leave with her because I had a young baby and the business would, have to, would be over. And in actual fact, not one client left. They all came forward to tell me that they she'd approached them and they'd said, absolutely no way. That's not the values of somebody they want to do business with. And I always talk about the bank, you know, the bank account that you, if you put more in than you take out, you can afford to make some debits sometimes. Mm. And I think I hadn't realized that the small things that we'd done as an organization and, and my integrity, I suppose, in their eyes meant that they could say to me, look, we know you're going to be it's going to be a very difficult time for you, but we're staying with you and, and we'll, we'll get through that together. And so I was, it was amazing to see how many people and friends in the industry came forward and said, look, this is a great freelancer. They can support you. So I felt so surrounded by people who wanted to support. And I was very grateful for that. Wow. So just to recap here, you basically give birth to your second child. You're about eh, three hours after the birth of your baby. Yeah. Your brother shows up in the door. You're like, why the heck are you here? And the person you put in place to run your business while you were gone, mm -hmm. not only didn't do a great job, they literally are trying to steal your business and take all your clients while you were literally giving birth. What yeah. a snake. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what goes through your mind? Like, like the initial 
I mean, panic, fear. What's the first thing you feel when you feel that? Just see that. Terror, just, I would say terror and because, and I am a massive vulnerability, huge vulnerability because I was like, you know, I've got a brand new baby here and I've got a business that's my livelihood. What do I do? And the awful thing was the fact that I knew that I had to, I had to prioritize getting back into the business because otherwise I couldn't look after the other baby. I couldn't look after my children. So again, my daughter says to me now, why are there no photographs of me when I was a baby? <laughs> it's like, I didn't know what day of the week it was. Never mind where the camera was. But, you know, I was still able, as a business owner, I could still make, um, carve time out and I didn't have to work full time. But no, it was a very, very, very frightening time. I can't say it was, a, it was an easy time to have a baby. No. <laughs> wow. No, thank you for sharing that. That's a remarkable story. Uh, author John Maxwell has a book called Failing Forward, and he speaks of failures that propel you to the next level. Mm. Do you have a favorite failure? Do you have a failure that set you up most for future success? Whether it's a failure or not, it was a, a, a huge hardship. And I think that every time we've had adversity in the business, and that story included, you, you stretch so much. That's the stretch when you mm. have a huge challenge. And so I would say that situation, um, I back myself more. We had a, a recession, the banking crisis in 2008. Yeah. Or, wow. I mean, that was a five-year recovery and that was so hard. I remember you couldn't get an overdraft. You, I was balancing the bank account every day. Again, feel the fear and do it anyway. You've got to crack on. Yeah, <laughs> You've got it. to just. Yeah. And you find stuff within yourself, don't you? And it's all those, again, leadership is about the small things that you do. And then the last of the pandemic, I mean, it was interesting. Overnight, our income fell to the highest it had ever been to the same amount that I billed in the first month of Roland Ransfield in, in 1996. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And that was, you know... I had to look around for some brown paper bags to blow into. It was <laughs> shocking, shocking. Oh um, my god! And so, so then, yeah, terrifying stuff. But I think you realise that you can't control those things. You can't control them, so that you have to kind of relax into them slightly and and think, okay, well, I have got um, some stuff in my tool toolkit. There was nothing in our toolkit for a, a pandemic, but there was resilience there were our values as an organization which kept us going kept us focused in in that situation so i do think failures and massive adversity are always a time that you stretch and you grow and you improve i love the saying you just said feel the fear and do it anyway mm. wow thank you for sharing that how about with everything you have going on with your business your family or your community activism when you need to clear your mind and recharge your body. What do you do? Lift weights. Yeah. <laughs> any, any particular type of workout? Well, I started weightlifting about seven years ago and I loved it so much. I'd used to run all the time but and running, you think about everything. You don't switch your mind off. But with weightlifting, if you always on a journey, then I feel that you can't think about anything other than lifting that weight. So for me, it's a great switch off, but I love reading. I love walking. And I found um, 
a huge passion for gardening, which nobody can quite believe because yeah. I have nothing in my garden on the trampoline and football nets for about 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the backyard is, yep, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's great. You mentioned books and reading. Do you have a book that influenced your life or changed your mind more than any other? Do you have yeah. a favorite book? I do. It's it's called The Untethered Soul by okay. Michael A. Singer. And it's an amazing book. And somebody that I met who's become a great friend, who is actually a coach as well. Somebody once just said to me, you need to meet Danny. And I met him and he gave me that book and I didn't understand it. It's about the pursuit of unconditional happiness. Mm. And I've read it every year for five years. Mm. Every time I read it, I realize that my journey, I'm on the journey and that last time I read it six months ago, I thought I am pretty much unconditionally happy. And mm. it's an incredible book. And it's about, we we can find the happiness and that peace inside ourselves. We don't need the external stuff. And if you're really grounded in who you are, you, you can go through massive adversity and change because it's okay because you've got yourself. And, and for me, that's, it's, it's liberating to, to feel that. Yeah, it is. Uh, that's so awesome. Like, it, it, no matter happiness and fulfillment come from within, not mm-hmm. outside. So, no matter what you buy, and no matter if you're whatever you buy, expensive, cheap, or an I new iPhone, or what, whatever, it doesn't bring lasting happiness. Then, then fixing your mind, having your mind set right, and uh, getting your mind right and your thought process right. That's where the real happiness comes from. It's not. It's, it's all inside. It really is. And I think also in the, as again, you know, I'm, I'm a real believer in the small stuff. I think if you just think you're going to be happy when you've got, say, business success, then, you, you know, you. I would say to somebody who's starting a business, really enjoy all those moments. It's the small things, enjoy those because that's what, you know, that's what you get the most pleasure out. Because you, when you get, you're, when you achieve what you think you want to achieve, you just want to go again. You're never happy yeah. at that point. There's always more stretching you. No matter what step, there's always the next step. Yeah. There's always something else. How about when you look out to the rest of 2022, coming out of COVID, here we are, hopefully the world's getting back in order and we're, we're opening up again. What's the most exciting project you're working on now? Mm. At the moment, we're working on a project which is called Our Year. And this is about how we put young people at the heart of what we do as a city region. So we're working with the leaders of uh, the city council to make sure that now we're building back, we don't put all the jigsaw pieces back in the same places and that we are really aware of the need to build back for a new generation. So let's learn. We've had an existential couple of years. So let's make sure that we build back with kindness and opportunity. So diversity, more equality. And so my business is involved in that project and we're engaging with lots of businesses across Manchester to make sure that they actually are supporting the people whose, you know, future generation and future opportunities they are. Wow. That's great. You mentioned your two kids, your son and your daughter wrapping up here. What type of values do you try to pass on to your kids? Mm. I... Yeah, I mean, value is obviously very important and they know how much work I've done in in the business around that. But for me, when I was growing up and it was a different age then, my mum was kind of goes to the back of the queue when everybody else has been sorted out and they're okay. You kind of come forward 
and that's the polite thing to do and that's kindness that was an old way of, of thinking and it, and it set me up for some disasters because I didn't I didn't always put boundaries in place I think and I think I was so focused on making sure everybody was okay I wasn't necessarily making sure I was okay and that impacts personal life and business life so for me I tell the kids that no matter what anybody else thinks no matter what you read no matter who says it unless it agrees with your own common sense and and what's right for you then it's not right and so I talked to them about having non-negotiables and having boundaries and being okay and, and celebrating a boundary because it keeps you safe, it keeps you secure. It means that you can show up every day believing that you know, what you feel is right r- without having to check in with everybody to see what their agenda is. And I think that's the most important thing I can tell them is if they feel it's okay, it's okay. Know yourself and have your own rules. General James Mattis, who was Secretary of Defense here in the United States, he has a book called Call Sign Chaos, great leadership book. And he has a chapter, Know Your Flat Ass Rules. And know your rules. And no matter where you are, you stick by them. And you know when you have to leave and you have to go and you have to run forward and you have to back away. And you follow your, define your rules before you enter battle and stick to them, no matter how good or bad it is. It sounds like that's what you're saying. I need to read that book. That sounds amazing. Thank you. How about just wrapping up here, if our listeners could take one lesson away from everything we discussed, what would it be? I would say you can have courage and you can have comfort in your life, but you can't have them both at the same time. Wow. You could have courage. You could have comfort, but very rarely are they happen at the same time. And you, and you got to choose one or the other. Wow. Here's a fun question. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. If you could spend a day with any historical figure, alive or dead, who would it be? Well, I would say it's not a famous person, but I would say Roland Dransfield because mm. He passed away before, well before I set this business up. Sure. And I would absolutely love, it makes me emotional to think about it. I would love to have um, that time with him so he can see how much he's, could never have known what impact he would have had on my life and my kid's life and all the people who've come through the business in 25 years. There's a whole alumni of people that have just worked for the team who are lifelong friends and the impact he's had on the world is insane just from that, yeah, that bucket and the sponge that day at my mum's house. The power of a bucket and a sponge. Never underestimate that. Last question, Lisa Morton. If you could get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body, what would that quote or motto say? Well, it would never happen because I'm scared to death. <laughs> but <laughs> it would say... Everything I need, I have. Everything I need, I have. Yeah. That is about as good as a spot as any to wrap up. Lisa Morton, I'd like to thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing your story, Roland Dansfield. If people are looking for you and your company and your podcast and your organization online, where can they find you? So they can find us at www.rdpr.co.uk or Instagram, which is Roland Dransfield and Twitter at RDPR Tweets. 
I'm on LinkedIn, Lisa Morton, and then you can find Purposeful Podcasts. That's on Instagram as Purposeful Pods. So yeah, in those places and wherever you get your podcasts, if you look for We Built This City, we are now on to, I think it's Mank 72. (laughs) Wow, really? Congratulations on that. That is not easy to do. I'm going to put all of these in the show notes. Uh, So if anyone wants to connect with Lisa and her company or download her podcast, please do. But Lisa Morton, I'd like to thank you for your time and awesome to speak with you. Thank you for sharing your story and wish you continued success out there in Manchester. (laughs) Thank you so much, Joe. I really appreciate it. Thank you.